0: Okay, well, we're in this series called The Elephant in the Room. Actually, today we're kind of concluding that series, and these come from deep in the teachings of Jesus called the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. So turn in your Bibles, or if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We've got some. They'll bring them right from the back. Just keep your hand up, and they'll pop one right in. And if you want, you can take it home, because we want you reading God's Word. I mean, Jesus said some pretty radical things and, uh, in this passage, and we're trying to preach the whole counsel of God. Or, or you'd never have a sermon on this text right after Thanksgiving. But uh, I invite you to turn to Matthew 5, and uh, we're going to look at what Jesus had to say. You know, when I set up the preaching schedule a few months ago, I thought I would be gone today, but then a couple of weeks ago, I I asked Pastor Derek if he wanted to swap weeks with me, and he said, well, yeah, sure, what we'll be trading is, uh, instead of talking, you know, uh, one week is murder and adultery and then divorce and remarriage. So it was kind of quite a trade, you know, from from one to the other. But I heard that Derek was outstanding on uh, murder and adultery, that, that he killed it, you know? And, <laughs> and uh, so today we're talking about divorce and, and remarriage. And as, if this is your area of struggle right now, there's a number of great resources. I mean, here's one. This, this is a book by David Instone Brewer, Uh, entitled Divorce and Remarriage in the Church, and he looks a lot at a lot of the Bible passages that have to do with the topic. And uh, there's also plenty of people who could help uh, talk with you and and listen. And if it's not your area of struggle right now, uh, you know, this is still part of God's Word, and we need to ask God, God, what do you want us to learn from this passage? How do we think? How do we speak? How do we live more like Jesus? Because Jesus is really calling us to purity in our relationships. That's really what he's talking about here in Matthew 5. So we're going to start Matthew 5, starting verse 31 and 32. It says, It was also said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, there's hardly a person alive in America anymore who hasn't been stung by the tragedy of divorce, some worse than others. You know, either yourself or somebody in your family or your friends. I mean, just mentioning the word can bring truckloads of sorrow, expired anger, feelings of regret, guilt, loss. I mean... For many, divorce brings with it pain deeper than death. John Piper said that death is usually clean pain. Divorce is usually dirty pain because when your spouse dies, you grieve, but there's a finality to it, whereas marriage termination by divorce always seems to have sharp edges and unresolved issues and unfinished conversations. In a previous church I served, there was a woman who wanted to start a divorce recovery workshop, and we did, under the title, One is a Whole Number. How do we take people that life has fractured and bring them into wholeness in Christ? And over the course of 10 years, I watched 1,200 adults and 500 children and youth go through a six-week course in an effort to deal with the devastating effects on themselves and on those that they loved. One of the requirements set up by the woman who started the program, she insisted that everybody who was going to be part of it, any of the volunteers in any capacity to serve the workshop, had to have two requirements. Number one, they had to personally be in love with Jesus. And the second was they had to have personally been divorced because she didn't want any well-meaning Christians spouting spiritual platitudes and having deep convictions of the uninformed. And she included pastors in that. And so, so I got to unlock the doors the first night And then on the sixth uh, week, I got to say a prayer at the potluck. And other than that, everything was covered by people who had those qualifications. Because there's such a deep pain uh, in the process that uh, to love Jesus and have been divorced, those were the people who had uh, the requirements that were necessary to help others in that path. The pain of death is excruciating. I mean, life's never the same. How are you? I'm fine. You know, it doesn't come close to hiding the truth anymore. And there's failure and guilt and grief and loss and fear, and and now what? In fact, there's a marketing company named Search Factory that was checking on Google for what questions are people asking the most, presumably so that they could use that information to make more money. And so they did a study, and in a particular month, they found there were 40,500 monthly searches for the question, why did I get married? And there were 14,800 searches for how to ask a guy out. And there was 9,900 searches for how to mend a broken heart. And there were 5,400 searches that month for how to have an affair. And there was 1,900 searches for how to get away with murder. And there actually was 1,000 searches for how do I hide a dead body? It's kind of like the guy who's walking down the beach. He's freshly divorced. He's uh, kind of uh, feeling pretty sorry for himself, happens to see a bottle wash up on the shore, picks it up, rubs it enough that the genie pops out and says, wow, you set me free. I'm going to give you and your spouse three wishes. He says, well, I'm divorced. He says, well, then I'm going to give your spouse twice whatever you pick. So whatever you pick for yourself, I'm going to give twice to her. So he says... Well, for the first one, give me a million dollars. And boom, it just comes out of the sky and lands there on a pallet. He says, of course, your spouse gets two. He says, well, I'd like a Mercedes. So boom, there's a car sitting there next to the money. He says, of course, your spouse gets two. He said, what do you want for your third wish? And the guy thought about it, and then he said, beat me half to death. <laughs> <clears throat> now nobody sets out towards divorce like a goal in life. You know, marriage in America, even though 50% end in divorce, marriage is still held in high regard, and people still dream of finding that special or that perfect someone. I mean, marriage, after all, is God's idea, and, and we'll get back to that later. But divorce, I mean, it comes from brokenness and fractured dreams and tortured communication and unrealized expectations and badly bruised egos and untold heartache. I mean, who hasn't shed a tear into their pillow because they themselves are so Someone they love is being torn in half. I mean, it affects everything: your home, your kids, your work. People you knew when you were married don't know how to relate to you. I mean, many friends choose sides or withdraw. Nasty things are said in courtrooms, and lots of them are true. And, and in court, I mean, your life is being decided by lawyers and judges. And then there's the agony of the ex- innocence. You know, the children caught in the middle. Loved or unloved, tugged in two directions, fought over or left to fend for themselves, custody and visitation rights and financial fights, the he said, she said. Most of kids come out scarred, and they have leftover anger and a feeling of promises to me have been broken by the people I trusted the most. In fact, I was at a family function a few years ago. I was playing Legos with a five-year-old, and she was happily playing along, and all of a sudden she stopped, she goes, oh, it is so hard being having two families. And then we went on. And it was just something that she dealt with every day of her life. So how do you respond to this crisis as fully devoted followers of Jesus? How do you respond in ways that are full of grace and truth? Well, the first way, let me give you two answers. first way is to be there and to listen, and to share tears, and to stand with somebody who's grieving, and, 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 and as they own up to their part, and as they sort through the ashes of their dreams, and as they begin to say, what's happening? What, you know, what's in the next chapter of my life? Um, you might be Jesus to them, full of grace, and teaspoon here or there of truth. I spent a day with somebody like that who had just learned that his wife was leaving him, and so grief-stricken. And at the end of the day, I actually had a class to go to. I went to the class Bernard Ram was teaching at Dr. Rahm. And I said, and why is there suffering in the world? I was just frazzled. And, and he said, well, have you read my book, which he never bragged on his books. He said, have you read my book on suffering? I said, no. He said, well, I went over the 18 leading theories of human suffering. And the answer is none of them work. The only thing that you can be there, you can listen, you can care, you can support, you can pray, you can care said, thank you, that's just what I need today. I went back for more of it that evening. So the first thing we can do is to be there and to care. The second thing we can do is to lift up God's word as the truth, because it is. This is our guide for faith and practice. And even in this area of marriage and divorce and remarriage, even when it seems harsh or foreign, it comes from God. And you know, he loves you and he knows what's best. So let's hold up the standard that he gives us and the sacredness of marriage as God intended it because it comes from God and he's challenging all of us to live pure lives as God intended. So start today or start over today. So when you look at God on marriage and divorce, well, God is high on marriage. It was his idea. And it's right from the beginning of the Bible, one man, one woman committed to each other in marriage till death do us part. It's in Genesis chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. A man will leave his father and mother and will hold fast to his wife and they will become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. God gave woman to the man. And God gave man to the woman. They were helpers to each other, soulmates. And then sin entered the picture and it got a lot more complicated. God was still on high making promises making commitments. He's still high on marriage. In fact, later, God used a picture of marriage of himself with the people of Israel. He says, you are mine. I am married to you. You are my wife. And Israel was unfaithful to the God who loved her. And he took her her back. And she was unfaithful again. And he took her back over and over and over. In fact, finally, he had this prophet named Hosea. You can read the story. Hosea is one of the minor prophets because his book is short. But God said to him, go get married. And so he went and he married this woman named Gomer, And he says, be my wife. And she says, I will. And uh, they got married. And I don't know how far into the relationship, but he rolls over and the bed is empty. And so he goes looking for her. And he finds her down the street at a neighbor. And he pays the neighbor what he had paid her for what they were doing. And he brings her home. And he cleans her up. And he redresses her. And he says, you're my wife. Live with me in faithfulness. And she says, yes, I will. And the next night he rolls over and she's gone again. And he goes looking for her again. And he pays the price. And he cleans her up. And he brings her her home and he says, you're mine. And she says, stay with me. And she says, I will. And the next night, and it's the same story over and over and over. And finally, Hosea goes to God and says, God, why did you tell me to marry this woman? She is so unfaithful. She's broken her promises over and over and over. And God says, and now you know how exactly how I feel with my people. I have loved and I've cherished and they make promises to me and then they go wander and I go find them and I bring them back and I pay the price and I clean them up and I say be mine and live with me and they say yes I will and then they are gone and I go and, and finally God had enough. God hates divorce. You know why? Because of all the steps that lead to it, the wandering heart, the loss of intimacy, the pretending, the lying, the deception, the broken promises, the heart-wrenching questions, the tears with no end. I mean, God's been through all of it himself, and he was the innocent party. But God got divorced. So God hates divorce because he's been divorced, and he knows the pain personally. Isaiah 50, verse 1, he says, thus says the Lord, Where is your mother's certificate of divorce with which I sent her away? Or which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? Behold, for your iniquities you were sold, and for your transgressions your mother was sent away. God sees marriage as sacred. And when those promises are broken, you have broken a promise not just to your beloved, but you made those promises to God. And when we make a vow, when we make a promise to God, God wants us to keep those promises. Sometimes even when we've made a bad vow, God wants us to keep that vow. I mean, an example in the Bible, Joshua didn't pray enough and he was tricked by the Gibeonites into making commitments to them that he never should have made. But hundreds of years later, they were still honoring those bad promises that Joshua had made. God sees marriage as sacred. And if you were in a Christian marriage, It's not just a blessing and a benefit to you and to the couple. Your marriage as fully devoted followers of Christ is an example of God's son and his bride, Christ and the church. I'm not making this up. This is in Ephesians 5, which is quoted at almost all weddings. Listen to this. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man will leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I'm saying that it refers to Christ and to the church. Notice how two become one. Christ is the head. The church is the body. They are one. It's a marriage made in heaven, and it's going to be celebrated in heaven someday when Christ marries his bride, the church. It's talked about in Revelation 19, just before the Bible ends. It says, "'Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, "'like the roar of many waters, "'and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, "'Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. "'Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory, "'for the marriage of the Lamb has come, "'and his bride has made herself ready. "'It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, "'bright and pure.' For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. When you and I are do those righteous deeds, when we talk to people who need Christ, when we invite somebody to come with us, when we show an act of kindness, when we give an act of generosity, when we go out and we pray for people, we care for people, we visit them in the hospital or in jail, we're doing the fine de- the, the deeds of righteousness that become the fine linen that the church will be will be adorned in when she's presented to her husband-to-be, to Jesus. The angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Now, you know it would be fun to talk, uh, talk about this, uh, this exciting and long-awaited event of Christ and the church getting married, when Jesus, the perfect son of God, is married to his bride, the church, which, although she's less than perfect, um, she has been forgiven by Christ, she's been cleaned up by Christ, she has been claimed by Christ, he has died, in fact, to redeem her, and he calls her his own. But Jesus has brought up the subject right now, what we're looking at, of divorce and remarriage, and we're trying to measure this elephant in the room. <clears throat> So let's go back to Matthew 5, 31 and 32. It says, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. That last verse right there is in Matthew twice, and it's in Mark once and Luke once. So it's in the Bible four times. In Mark and Luke, if you put a parenthesis around the phrase, except on the ground of sexual immorality, then you have exactly what the other verse is. So whether this was added or whether the other two dropped it, um, it's an interesting phrase that the verse makes sense even without it in there. Matthew talks about this also in Matthew 19, and it's a larger context, and so I want us to look at that because it's very similar to this situation. It says the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by saying, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Now, the Pharisees were the scholars, they were the lawyers, they were the students, and, and they didn't all think alike and look alike. In fact, they were all over the map. Some said you, could, you couldn't divorce for any reason. Some said you could divorce for adultery versus uh, the ones on the more liberal end said you could divorce if she burned dinner or if she doesn't please you in some way. And so they're asking Jesus, what's your take on this? Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Jesus, instead of taking them to Deuteronomy, which is where this comes from, which that's the five, first five books are called the books of the law or the books of Moses. Moses wrote all of them. Jesus takes them all the way back to Genesis He takes them before Moses. He takes them before the law was given. He takes them before there was sin in the world. And he says, Have you never read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore a man will leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two will become one flesh? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And they said to him, Well, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And he said, because of the hardness of your hearts, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. I mean, Jesus has been sharing God's word with his disciples. These are serious students around Jesus who want God's guidance in their lives so they can live it out in a way that pleases God. That's what it means to be a disciple of Christ or a fully devoted follower. Jesus then, on the, in the Sermon on the Mount, the disciples are surrounded by this crowd of people, curious looky-loos, people who want their ears tickled, people who want to think new thoughts, people who might c- consider Christ someday, but they aren't taking Christ's word as authoritative, at least not yet, or they would be one of the disciples. And then the crowd is surrounded by these lawyers and scholars and the debaters, people who hear the words of Jesus, but they see them as an opportunity to debate the finer points. They aren't in it for heart transformation and for their life to be changed. They just want to prove they're right or important. The Pharisees were part of this group. So the Pharisees come and ask Jesus, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? They're at least starting from the point of looking at what does the Bible say So they're ahead of where a lot of people are today because sadly most people in America have discarded the Bible as their authority. They wouldn't even ponder the question, is it lawful? Is it what God would desire? They would start with themselves as the authority. What do I want? So the Pharisees are lawyers. They're looking for loopholes. So Jesus answers them, but they're looking at the law given by Moses. But Jesus takes them, as I said, all the way back to the beginning. And uh, the Pharisees... Uh, referenced Deuteronomy 24. So they said, well, here's what it says. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he's found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out of the house. I actually think what Moses, the reason he gave this guidance is because that was already happening. People were being sent away, and he's trying to protect the woman from being abandoned with no, you know, instead of just being pushed out of her house, he's saying the man has a responsibility if he's going to take this huge step to give her a written certificate of divorce so that she's able to prove her status rather than just hanging in limbo um, to starve or to sin just to survive, So in their system, you'd be engaged for a year, and it was considered part of the marriage. So although you were not in the same house, although you were not um, uh, consummating the marriage, you were considered married. And so you could actually get divorced during that year of, of marriage when you and I would think of it as engaged, just like Joseph contemplated with Mary. Do you remember? Thinking, oh my goodness, she's having a baby. It's not mine. She's been unfaithful. I will divorce her. And, of course, an angel had to intervene uh, to help Joseph think the right thing. But Jesus said it's because of the hardness of your heart that Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. Jesus is amazing. He's saying the Old Testament has laws in it that are not God's will. Rather, it's a law that's given to help manage sin. The divorce is not God's desire, not ever, but it's permitted, it was regulated And you can also see in the Old Testament that there are laws for polygamy and for slavery and for loaning money that uh, are ways that are not God's ways, but God permits those to happen. And Jesus is saying it's being permitted because of the hardness of the human heart. But back in creation, God's plan was two people become one flesh. It was that God has joined together. It's quoted in Matthew 19, verse 6. You know, you might think that when you got married, you and your special... Uh, someone decided to get married, it was your decision or that a pastor married you or that a justice of the peace solemnized and legalized your union. But all that secondary is what it's saying here, that marriage is God's idea. And what God has joined together, let no man separate. So if marriage is God's idea, and if what is joined is joined, then we mortals have no right to separate what God has joined together. So remember back just for context, a little before this, uh, Jesus had said, do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I haven't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So then Jesus lifts up these six examples of radical living for his fully devoted followers. And really, Jesus is lifting up the sanctity of marriage between one man and one woman who love each other till death do us part and put God at the center. That keeps us away from sin. That keeps our hearts tender and responsive to following Christ. I mean, really, this is good news. Regardless if you've never been married or you're on your first marriage or you've been divorced and remarried, Jesus wants us to treat the people we are in relationship with like he treats his bride, the church. Jesus has and always will practice self-sacrificing love for his bride. He'll never abandon his bride. He takes her back time and time again after she wanders. And Jesus purifies her and he cares for her tenderly and he provides for her and he looks forward to the day when they come together in heaven to be married and uh, they, the bride is committing herself to live free from sin in a relationship of love forever with her true love, Jesus. See, every one of us, whether you've never been married or you've been married once or you've been married over and over and over, if you come to Jesus, you are part of His bride. You are a treasure in His eyes. I mean, this is a radical call by Jesus to live not like the world, but to follow Jesus as our example of love and relationships, faithfulness and forgiveness, and over and over as needed. I mean, Divorce is never mentioned in the Bible as the unpardonable sin. And God is full of love and full of forgiveness and full of grace. So if you need to, start fresh today or start again today fresh. See, those believers who are married are a picture to the world of Christ and His bride. Does your marriage look like that? I'm not trying to induce guilt, I'm wanting to remind you and inspire you. This is a responsibility given to married believers by Jesus himself. So take time to review and to renew, to keep your love pure and fresh and alive, to take time to repent. I mean, none of us is perfect and there's plenty to apologize for and plenty to learn and keep growing. And then take time to refresh, to try something new. You know, if you're married, you might say something like, honey, I've got time and money, what would you like to do? Let's go make a memory. And you'll probably end up shopping. (laughs) You know, but if you're single or single again, you could ask Christ, how do I follow you? How do I glorify you in my body and in my life? So Jesus has issued a radical call to purity, to live by the word of God and to fulfill what God requires. Only fully devoted followers are able to hear this and to accept it and to live by it. And the reason we do is because of Jesus, because of his great love and forgiveness, because we will see him again, because we will give an account of our lives, how we've been married or remarried and chosen to live in purity before him. And because Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, shall we pray? Dear Jesus, this is a call to us, and it's radical It doesn't seem practical. It's not how we would have thought of doing it. But you are calling us to a high standard. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that gives us the power to live as sons and daughters of God in this world. I pray for people here who are struggling in their marriages to say, "How how do I live this out in a way that glorifies God? I pray for those that are single again and not by choice, that you would give them your grace and your strength, I thank you that one is a whole number and you call us to wholeness in yourself. I thank you that you are there for us when we mess up, when we go our own way, when we're selfish, when we're headstrong. and You keep reaching out to us as the bride of Christ, calling us back, cleaning us up, claiming us as your own, resetting us by your side. God, I pray that here we would just ask for your forgiveness where we have sinned and we will... Uh, choose to live righteous lives, and we will choose to treat people as you would because you are so precious in your sight. Thank you, Jesus. You are awesome, and we love you. Amen.